Ready to go? Session number 11. Let's begin in prayer tonight. We'll go and get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the statements of I am and I will. And Lord, I pray that uh, we will take seriously this calling, this message that is the difference between light and death, life and death itself, light and darkness, eternal light or eternal darkness. So Lord, may your spirit uh, move among us tonight, revealing truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Jesus who he says he is? Ultimately, that's been this whole session. We've spent eight weeks on the name and the identity of Jesus. We've spent the next two weeks after the eight weeks dealing with I will, I will, I will, I will. It is impossible for us to cover all of the I will statements of Jesus. So we're just pretty much staying in the seven churches. Tonight, I'll finish the last of the seven churches. And you say, well, we've got one more session. And it's not dealing with the seven churches. It's what happens after that, which we'll call the end. Okay? That'll be a good place to end is at the end. So tonight, it's the final three churches, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Let's start with Sardis. Many have referred to Sardis Church as a dead church. You'll find out in a moment why that is. And just like the other churches, the I am, and I don't know why this affects me so much, but the I am in every one of these churches says, I know. The I am says, I know. Uh, that just speaks volumes to me. So nothing is going to be hidden. Whatever secret you might have in your life that nobody knows but you, somebody else knows it. The I am, I know. Sardis will have three I will moments with Jesus. But before we get into those, let's set the stage and let's look at what he says, I know. Here's the beginning of his letter to Sardis. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. That just almost gives me cold chills to imagine Jesus looking at a church and say, you're dead. It'd be one thing if one of us says that. Because we have limited knowledge. He doesn't have limited knowledge. He know. I know. You, are, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. The problem in the Sardis church, unlike the one we talked about last Wednesday night, the problem in the Sardis church is not heresy. It's not the pagan cultic spirit. It's not the, the Jezebel spirit. It's spiritual death. Despite its reputation for being alive, Sardis was infested with sin. The church's deeds were evil, and its clothes, that's, how, that's a picture of your purity, your clothes are soiled, you're dirty. The I am had no words of commendation for this church that looked so good on the outside but was so corrupt on the inside. He's got nothing, if you read through these seven churches, this church, Sardis, he doesn't have anything good to say about them. Well, if they're dead, 
How would you have anything to good to say? Now, does that mean everybody in Sardis is rotten? No, not everybody. We'll find that out in a moment. So how is it possible to look alive and yet be dead? Be a good question for the American church. The church has always been designed by God to reveal himself to the lost world through the working of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word will reveal the Son of God, and the Son of God will reveal the Father. So let, let me make sure everybody got, has got that. The Spirit and the Word will reveal the Son of God. And once you encounter the Son of God, the Son of God reveals the Father. That's why he says no one can come to the Father except the Son, because you won't know Him. The only way to know the Father is to know the Son. If you know me, you know the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So how do you get to know the Son? The Spirit reveals the Word. Now, what would you call a church that had departed from the authority of Scripture? And this is really important because this is the, the real issue in the Sardis church. It is the issue in the American church. What would you call a church that had departed from the authority of Scripture? And because you have rejected the, the authority of Scripture, and it is the Holy Spirit that reveals the Word, you are also rejecting the Spirit and the Word at the same time. Dead. So the last of the the last of the I am's was I am the vine. The last the number seven of the I am's is I'm the vine. Abide in what? If you abide in me, I and you, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus is abiding in the Word. It is abiding in the Spirit. They're the same thing. In fact, let me say, can you abide in Jesus? Here's where I'm going. Can you abide in Jesus and not abide in the Word? No. They're the same. They're the same. And yet, what's the battle in the modern American church? We want Jesus. We don't want this. I want Jesus. I don't want this. It's not possible. It's, it's absolutely not possible. Sardis is an example of this is what it means to be dead. It's impossible. A church can have all kinds of social programs. They can be filled with activity, but without the Holy Spirit's power and, the, and presence to proclaim the life-saving gospel through the Word of God, there is no life. You can look alive, you can be active, you can have a lot of stuff going on and a lot of people on your campus. But that doesn't mean you're alive. God didn't abandon Sardis. Anybody think that's good news? I do. He didn't abandon Sardis to their dead practices. No, Jesus tells them how to turn the church around. In fact, I guess there'd be no reason for the letter if he's just going to let them burn. He's writing the letter to give them another chance, right? And, and I think the same thing is true in American churches. He's writing a letter. And I'm going to tell you, the first I will tonight on the list comes with Jesus' warning to the church. Go to verse 2. Wake up. What's he just said? You're dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. 
Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Repent. There's that word again. You keep finding that word in these seven churches. Repent and turn to me again. And if you don't wake up, I will. Here's the I will. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, unexpectedly, as a thief. Wake up. They're already on life support. Wake up. Like Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb, he's calling a church out of the grave. You look alive, but you're dead. I want to resurrect you. Repent. Go back to where you were at first. And I'll give you life. <coughs> there obviously was a little light left in Sardis. And Jesus tells them to wake up before it's eternally too late. Can you imagine hearing these words on the last day? Now, I'm going to tell you, this is sobering to me. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. That's what he just said to a church. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. What do you think that means? You're lost. Mercy opens the door for repentance again. That's why he's writing the letter. That's why he's writing a letter to a church. To a, why would Jesus write a letter to a dead church? Because there's still time. Mercy opens the door. There's a crack in the door. And what is, his, what is his message? Go back to what you heard and believed it first and hold it firmly. Here it is. Is anybody doubt that this is it? This is it right here. Go back to what you believed and heard, heard it first and hold to it firmly. This is it. What's the American church need to do? This. Go back to what you believed and heard at first and hold to it firmly. This is a powerful message to the sleeping church of America today. Go back to the word of truth. Hold to it like your life depends on it because it actually does. Go back to where you started. Find the ancient path of truth and then start over. This reveals the mercy of God. Yes, even toward a dead or dying church, God still holds out mercy. And what's the mercy? How do I access the mercy offer? Go back to the Word. Because when you go back to the Word, what are you really going back to? Him. You're going back. You're not going back to a book. You're going to Him. So, I want to jump over into the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And by the way, if you understand the context of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the prophet that's coming to tell Jerusalem it's over. You know, God's going to destroy the place. His judgment's coming. In Jeremiah 6, 16, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path. And you'll find rest for your souls. But is that mercy? That's, that's mercy. Find the ancient path and get on it. But you reply, no. 
That's not the road we want. Anybody here of the American church? No, that's not the road we want. I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. That's what watchmen do. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. And what if we don't go back and start again? What if we don't awake from our sleep that leads to eternal death? What if? Church, look, don't, don't be thinking about a church right now that's 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor. What, what about church right now? Right now. What if you don't? What if you don't go back to the Word? What if you refuse the watchman's calling? What if you refuse it when God's mercy sends somebody into your life, somebody into the church, somebody into the world and says, I'm sounding the alarm. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. What if you say no? What if you say no? I am says I will. And you're not, nobody's going to be able to say, well, I didn't know. Because, yeah, you did. Here's what he says. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. It'll come upon you so fast that you won't be able to repent your way out of it in that last moment. That's what the suddenly is. Judgment can come suddenly and without warning. Wake up. So when is the moment of truth? When is the moment to access the mercy? When the watchman calls. That's when you access the mercy. When the word, when the spirit convicts my heart, that's, that's when you answer. That's why the Bible says what? Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. And talk about ancient Israel that, that walked away from the ancient path. Do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. As in most churches, there were some that had not gone along with the apostasy. Does everybody know what the word apostasy means? We kind of throw that out there. It's one of those churchy words. Apostasy is a word for the falling away from. It's a turning away from. So you were somewhere, but you're not there anymore. You were a people of the word, but you're not a people of the word anymore. You were people walking the ancient path of righteousness, but you've left that path. It is the falling away. It is, the NLT calls it the rebellion. You're rebelling against the path, the way, the word of God. You've said, no. What did it say up here? No, we won't pay attention. <laughs> That's the apostasy. No, I'm not going on that road. I don't want that road. It's the apostasy. And by the way, uh, um, Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica says that the return of Christ will not happen. The man of uh, lawlessness, the Antichrist, will not be revealed. Either one of those, the return of Christ, the man of lawlessness, re lawlessness re uh, revelation, will not happen until what happens? Until the apostasy occurs. Well, we're in it. Now, what level that will the apostasy get to? I have no idea. But we're in the apostasy. And it is the falling away of the church, the abandonment of the Word of God. Sardis is an example of that church. But in Sardis, here's the good news. There, not everybody was apostate. 
There were some that had not fallen asleep. Some, listen, in that church at Sardis, who have, were still holding on to the truth. Still, there's a few. I told you the church didn't get a commendation. Well, this is kind of a commendation if you're stretching for one, and I think I am. What? what there's a few of you. Let's go to verse 4. Yet there are some in the church at Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There are some. There were still a few living and awake people inside the dead church at Sardis. Jesus promises them what? White. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What's the white represent? Purity. Purity. Holiness. They are the real church. They are the bride of Christ. How do you think the bride will be dressed for the bridegroom? In black or in white? She'll be in white. So let's go to Revelation 19. And I want to see about this. I want to look at another picture of those that are dressed in white. Those who are worthy. Those who have not soiled their clothes. What's it mean? Revelation 19:6. And then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come. Oh, oh, oh boy. For the time has come for what? The wedding feast. Wedding. Dressed in white. Okay? Wedding. The wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Where did this bride get the white linen? She has been given. She received my righteousness. The bride in itself can never dress in anything that's white. So he gives her his righteousness when she becomes one with him. When she becomes one, when she is betrothed to the bridegroom, the bride has received the righteousness of the bridegroom. He gave her white garments to her. Understand that? that we, we can't, we will never have a white garment unless we receive that white garment from him. The I am offers a reward for those in Sardis who will hang on, who will not go along. Church, this, is, this should be the primary message of the church around America today. Don't go along with the world. Don't, don't fall into the trap. He offers a reward for those in Sardis who will not go along with the apostasy of the church. If, it's like he gives an offer to the church. I'll give you a reward, but if you don't go along, or I'll give you the judgment if you do. Which one do you want? You want the reward or you want the judgment? Let's go down to verse 5. We're still talking to Sardis. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will. Here comes the I will. Do you believe him? Because I do. I will never erase their names from the book of life. 
And here comes another I will. I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Forever recorded in the book of life, along with those who have the crown of life, the tree of life. There's a whole lot of life going on in this thing. Life, 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 life. Can you see there's life here? There's nothing without life. So I want you to do something. Use your imagination to, to visualize this final I will to the faithful in Sardis. Let me read it to you and then use your imagination. Because I did that a little bit this afternoon. Okay, in my imagination, and it's just an imagination. Okay, in my imagination, we're standing in this line in front of the, the throne. Okay, there's this, we're approaching the presence of God. And in that line, one at a time, we stand with Christ before God. And I read this message. He says, I will announce before my Father and his angels, they are mine. So here was my imagination. That I approached the line and, you know, well said, I can only imagine, shall I, shall I, fall on my face? Shall I, shall I kneel? Will I sing? What, what will I do? I don't know. I kind of picture falling down and I picture Jesus coming over beside me and saying, this one's mine. This one's mine. He's mine. Um, and he says it to the angels. So this vast throng of heavenly hosts and the Father. And he looks and says, he's mine. Get up. Get up. What do you think that'll be worth? Everything. Every, this is everything. And what's this? Now, we're talking about Sardis. This is the dead church. You have the reputation for being alive. Is everybody in the church going to get this? No, no, no. Only a few. There's an apostasy going on inside the church. But there's a few of you that have not gone along. And you're, I'm going to give you white garments. You're, you're, I'm going to stand and announce to, the, to, to everyone that they belong to me. Woo! Somebody say hallelujah. All right, let's go to Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia will have four I will moments with the I am. Philadelphia and Smyrna are the only two churches out of the seven that do not receive a rebuke from the Lord. Sounds like, what an opposite church. You got Sardis who's dead and you got Philadelphia. He doesn't even have anything bad to say to them. Not really. Does He challenges them, but it really doesn't give them a rebuke. And yes, it, like all the others, begins with, I know. Verse 8, I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Now, I don't have time to go into detail on this. I have covered this in the past Revelation sessions. But I really feel like I need to tell you something. What is the, I've opened a door that no one can close. You're in it. It's the church age. It is the church. It is the time of the church. It is the time of the Gentiles. It is the time in which the message will go on to all the world. I've opened a door that no one can close. They've been trying to shut that door for a long time, trying to stop this church thing for a long time. He has opened a door that no one can close. 
And then he looks at a church inside this open door that God himself opened. The gates of hell cannot prevail. They cannot shut this door. I've opened a door no one can shut. Now one day, listen, listen, one day that door is going to close. When the full number of Gentiles comes in, that door's closing. It'll happen suddenly like a thief in the night. The door will slam. But as of now, the door's open. And then inside that open door statement of Jesus to Philadelphia, to the church of Philadelphia, he says this. This is so powerful. You have little strength. He knows that in and of ourselves, how are we going to change the world? Huh? You have little strength. But here's what you do have. You have never, you have obeyed my word. You have obeyed my word. And you did not deny me or my name. The word and the name. What two things are controversial today in the, Amer in the American culture? And, and even sometimes in the American church. What two things? Jesus. And when I say Jesus, I mean the singularity of the name. There's only one way. One. Just one. He's the only way to get to heaven. And to Philadelphia, he says, there's an open door. A time in which God has allotted for the world to hear the gospel. And inside that time, there is a church called Philadelphia that didn't have much strength, but they did have enough strength to hold on to two things. They never let go of two things, the Word of God and the name of Jesus. They're powerful. I've often considered this verse to be the central, to be central to the church regarding obedience. Two things that the church refused to surrender to the world. And the world wants so badly for us to surrender these two things. The word and the name. You obeyed my word. You did not deny me. The apostasy begins and ends with these two points. Anybody hear me? The apostasy that I have referred to begins and ends right there. If you will give up the word and you will give up the name, you are apostate. You are part of the great rebellion, the falling away. Falling away from what? I just told you, the word and the name. Is the American church there? Let me give you an example. I know the Bible says that, but you're in apostasy. It's the authority of Scripture. God said, I know God said, but... Well, there is no but. God said, that's it. We're done. Pagan practices and the spirit of Jezebel cannot exist alongside the name and the word. What got the other churches in trouble? We talked last week about a church that was pagan, cultic, spirit of Jezebel. How does that stuff get in the church? How does that stuff get in the church? Because you, you got away from the two things that make the church the church, the name and the word. That, that's how Jezebel comes in. Jezebel doesn't come in. The spirit of Jezebel, this pagan cultic ideology, which is just doctrine of demons. How does it come in? Because you've abandoned the very foundation of the word and the truth and the name. Jesus will come in power. To support and defend those who hold on to the name and the word. 
Do you believe that? That's why he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against. He didn't say there's not a war. He just says that they'll not win the war. He comes in power for those who will hold to the name in the word. So let's go to verse 8. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, here comes another I will. I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say that they are Jews, but they are not. I will force He's using, that's, that's powerful, to come and to bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. He's interceding in the battle. Justice will come from the I am. What he's really saying in the church is the battle is raging. There's people who claim to be messengers of God, and they're not messengers of God. They're false prophets. In the end, they'll bow to you, and they'll confess that you were right and they were wrong. I'll force them to do so. That's a sense of justice that God promises the church in the end. Yes, there is persecution. And yes, this ancient path is hard, but this next promise is incredible and very relevant for us today. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. And let me just tell you before I read it, this will be my highlight tonight. What does he promise Philadelphia? Because you, what's the two things? You kept my name. There's an open door that no one can close. In that time period of the open door, you kept my name, you kept my word. And then he says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Persevere in what? You never surrendered my name and my word. Because you did that, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to the world. I am coming soon. The great time of testing. And the next line is, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. What do you have? I got the name and I got the word. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. What's the crown? The crown's been the crown of life, right? So everybody listen. Yes, I believe this is a direct reference to the rapture of the church that will happen before the great tribulation of the earth. Yes, I do believe that. I believe the church letter to Philadelphia is a promise to the bride of Christ, specifically, if you'll persevere. What's the perseverance wrapped around? The name and the word. What's the American church struggling with? The name and the word. But if you'll hold on, if you'll persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing. Anybody want to guess what that is? I believe the great time of testing will be the seven-year tribulation on the earth. And why do I say that? Because the great time of testing is going to come upon the whole earth. It's not going to be localized. It'll be world, all over the world, to test those who belong to the world versus, versus those who belong to God. What will be the defining factor? Well, what's, it, what's the context of the Philadelphia letter? The name in the word. The name in the word. I'll protect you from the time of testing. If you have abandoned the name and the word, you join the apostasy, you join the world, 
What do you think the tribulation is? Jesus connects this protection to this statement, I am coming soon. I didn't connect it, he did. He put them together. So what? Abide, remain, hold on. The Sardis church was asleep and the warning is I will come suddenly as unexpectedly as a thief. What's that mean? It'll be too late for you to find the ancient path. It'll be too late for you to repent. Everybody's going to repent in that moment. In that moment, there'll be a moment of truth. But, but it's too late in that moment. The Philadelphia church was awake and holding to the word and the name and the promises. And he says, I will protect you from the great time of testing. The Apostle Paul also gives a similar application and revelation of this truth to 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, where he says to, now I'm going to tell you, he's writing the true church. This is not dead church people. This is not people who are apostate, who have surrendered the word in the name. He's talking to the true church. Here we go. But you, church, aren't in the dark about these things. And he's talking about the return of Christ. The, the, dear brothers and sisters, you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So coming like a thief means he's somebody sneaking up on you, right? But he's not sneaking up on the church. Why is he not sneaking up on the church? Because the church is going to say, we've been waiting for you for quite a while now. We've been watching. What did he say that night to his disciples? Couldn't you watch and pray with me for one hour? We're going to say, well, it seemed like more than an hour. We've been watching and praying for a long time for you. But you won't be in the dark about these things. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Why? What's the difference? For you are all children of the light. Children of the day. Anybody see any darkness here? No. You're children of the light. You're children of the day. We don't belong to the darkness. We don't belong to the night. So be on your guard, not asleep. Who is that? That's Sardis. Wake up! Not asleep like others. Stay alert. Be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet. Here we go. Confidence. You know what that means? We are sure and certain of what's coming. Confidence of our salvation. There are still two more I will moments from the I am to the church at Philadelphia. Two more. Let's go to verse 12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. I will... Write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my, Jesus' new name. The name of God upon us. That's one of the promises. I will write on them the name of my God. 
He also says that you'll take possession of a city, of a place that you'll never have to leave. You'll become a pillar in the temple of my God, a permanent fixture in the presence of God. Never, ever have to leave. Somebody say hallelujah. You don't get expiration dates on this promise. The name is the mark of eternal ownership. Belonging to the I am. There's a million questions about the mark of the beast. And I can tell you one simple one. Once you receive the mark of the beast, he owns you. You're done. You don't recover. In the tribulation, there are those who are marked. And there's, everybody's got all these million questions and missing the main point. The main point is you belong to him. But in a contrasting perspective, what did he just tell the Philadelphia church? I will write on you the name of my God. Why is he going to write that name on me? The same reason that the Antichrist is going to write his name on those who rejected the word and the name. Because he bought you. He bought you. You sold yourself to him. But who's, this, who's getting this name? They sold themselves to him. They, they willingly bowed their lives to this king. Therefore, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The name of God upon us, forever citizens in the city of God. The name is the mark of his eternal ownership. We belong to the I am, forever citizens of the new Jerusalem. There's a whole lot in there. So let's go to Revelation 21. And let's look a little deeper. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So what, what, what did he say up here? He said, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. You're going to be citizens of the city of my God. You're a pillar in the temple, citizens in the city of my God, right? Citizens in the city of the new Jerusalem, all right? So let's go over to Revelation 21. Let's look for that. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the old heaven and the old, old earth had disappeared. Now, I'm convinced that this is what will happen after the thousand-year reign of Christ on this present earth. After all, after he has reigned on this earth for a thousand years. And death and hell will be thrown into the, into the, they'll be gone forever, defeated. And then, and then, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw what? On this new heaven, new earth. That means what we know now will be gone or radically transformed. And I saw the new, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, Philadelphia just got promised a place in that town. Philadelphia got promised a place there. And I saw the new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He, God, the Father. Anybody listening? God the Father will live with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. 
and I will also write on them my new name. Jesus will write his new name. Now he's, first off, he's writing the name of God the Father on us, our, our ownership. But he's also, there's one more. I will also write on them my new name. Jesus is the speaker, my new name. His new name will also be marked by the name of the Father. The new name of the Son will be placed on those who belong to the Son, and all who belong to the Son will, by default, belong to the Father. Compare to Jesus' I will statement to Pergamum. So let's go back to Revelation 2.17. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will... Give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. You, there's a whole lot of naming going on here. See it? God's name, Jesus' name, you get a new name. Why? He's making everything new. The old order of things is gone forever. So you about get a new name. All right, last one, Laodicea. The church at Laodicea will receive two I will moments from the I am. And yes, just like the rest, he says, I know. Verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I know and I will. Is there a connection to the fruit and the reward or the punishment? Okay, let's say something here. Is, does Jesus, does the Word of God connect the fruit of a person's life to the reward, eternal reward. Is there a connection between the absence of the fruit and the eternal punishment? Many people focus, when they read the Laodicea text, they focus on the cold and the hot and miss the fact that Jesus is focused on the deeds of the Laodicea church. He's focused... He's focusing on what's coming out of your life. So when I say deeds, I want you to know what I'm talking about. What's coming out of your life? What's, what, what's your life producing? The things you do, the fruit of your life. Remember, this letter's to a church. It's not a letter to pagans. It's a letter to a church. Do deeds, works matter to God? Now, let me say something very clear. I always try to make a big point of this. This is not salvation by works. It's, it's, op, it's the opposite. There are no works that you and I can do that will impress God and say, you're saved. That's, that's impossible. Why? Because we have no righteousness. We, we don't have any righteousness. The, not, my greatest works are as filthy rags before God. They're, they're, my best day. Doesn't mean anything to him until I receive his righteousness, until I abide in the vine, until this branch takes its place in the vine and something happens.
You will, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Does it matter? It defines whether you're abiding or you're dead. It defines whether or not you're legitimate or you are illegitimate, whether you are dead or whether you're alive. The deeds matter. This is not an issue of salvation by works, but the truth that the abiding spirit will always produce fruit for God, the gardener. So let's go to John 5, 16. And I want to show you specifically the fruit. What comes out of our life can tell us a lot about the church and the individuals in the church. And if you think he doesn't know, what do you think he says? I know, I know. He's talking to church. I know, I know, I know. He sees the fruit. What do you think he's talking about? So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, well, what's he done? Let me, let me give you some context. He's healed a guy on Saturday. And they're thinking, we don't work Saturdays here. It's Sabbath. So what's Jesus going to say about their claim? You're not supposed to work on Saturday. But Jesus replied, my father's always working, so am I. He doesn't take Saturday off. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Is, by the way, is that in the law? You can kill him? For he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called his father, he called God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. So where am I going? Jesus made an announcement. Did you get it? My father's always producing. And I'm connected to my father and I'm always producing. What? Anything connected to him produces. Anything abiding in him produces. Not because you want to be a producer. No. Because he is a producer. He bears fruit. What did Jesus say? The, the seventh I am. I am the vine. You are a branch. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There'll be no fruit. So what's the fruit? The abiding. What bears fruit? The abiding. What are we talking about here? Salvation by works? No, salvation by abiding. There's a difference. It's by abiding. You have connected yourself to life, so you'll have life. Disconnect yourself from life, you won't have life. The fruit just reveals the connection or the lack thereof. Let's go to John 14, 23. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. You mean it's not just an intellectual experience? No, it's not just an intellectual experience. If you're, remember how many times in those first seven sessions did I say, if you're struggling with the follow me part of Christianity, it's because you don't know who he is. Right? I got tired of hearing me saying it too, okay? If you're struggling with the follow me part of Christianity, it's because you still have not come to the conclusion who he is. All who love me will do what I say. And you know what he said? Follow me. My father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. There's the Holy Spirit, the abiding presence, abiding, abiding, abiding. And anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Not abiding, not abiding, not abiding. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Let's do one more. John 15, verse 5. Actually, there's a couple more. 
Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And anyone who does not remind, so what's at stake? We're talking about, is this salvation by works? Well, what if you don't have salvation? What if you don't abide? What if you don't have any fruit? What if you hear him, but you refuse to do what he says? Anyone who does not remain in me. There's that issue again. Is it possible for me to have been an abider and then stop abiding? So I'm going to ask you a question. How can you be apostate to something you have never participated in? How can you fall away from that which you have never touched in the first place? It's a good question. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. Do I have to tell you what that is? It's hell. Why are these branches getting burned? They have no fruit. Why don't they have any fruit? Because they did not abide in the vine. And what, let's go back to Laodicea. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out, thrown out, burn in the fire. It's all the same storyline. I wish you were hot or cold because you're neither. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I wish you had divided in me. And because you didn't, you became a branch that's useless. It's fruitless. I'm going to gather the branches and put them in a the fire and burn them. They did not abide. They did not remain. Why? Let's go back to Laodicea. Lukewarm people cannot bear fruit. Anybody with me? Lukewarm people cannot bear fruit, and thus they never give glory to God, which is the very reason and purpose of our lives in this present world. This next verse should convict all of us about our life's purpose and meaning, to be the same as Jesus' life purpose and meaning. So let's pause for a moment. There, this, I'm about to read to you John 17, 4. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord has impressed this upon me so powerfully, this verse, that I, it's almost every day in my prayers that, uh, Lord, may my purpose in life this day be this verse, what I'm about to read. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he's summarizing his, his 33-year life in the flesh on planet Earth. Here we go. He's looking at God and saying, I brought you glory here on earth. How? How? How did he bring glory to God, his Father on the earth? By completing the work you gave me to do. How did he do that? How many times did Jesus go off to pray? How many times did Jesus go off to make sure that he is connected to the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father, we're one. We're, we're like this. You can't tell us apart. And because of that, the power of God flowed through the Son. And at the end of the life's journey, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He looks to his Father. This is so powerful to me personally. And says, I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Do you think that's only him? You think Jesus is the only one that this is going to be the story of his life? 
See, I think this is the same thing he's got for me, that he wants me to stand at the finish line and look at him and say, I brought you glory here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And Lord, I completed it by your great power when I abided in you and you abided in me. That's it. That, my friends, is the purpose of life. I brought you glory here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's what I want to say on the last day. And now, now so what's the result? Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Now, I probably have to leave that last part off. Bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I'll have to rephrase it and say, bring me into the glory that you and the Son shared before the world began. And I'll start sharing it with you. This is the purpose of life. The Spirit always bears fruit. And without the Spirit, there is no life now or in eternity. The Spirit always bears fruit. I am, and I know, and I will. Think about that for a moment. Do you believe Him? I am, I know, I will. What would keep us from allowing the Spirit to bear fruit in our lives? Thus bringing glory to the Father. Let me say that the deceitfulness of wealth plays heavy into this Laodicea scene. And probably has a great parallel to the American church. Let me show it to you. Or before I do, let me read Matthew 13 and then I'll do that. The seed that fell among thorns. Jesus is telling the story, the parable of sower. The seed that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's word. All right, I'm going to hold it up. They hear God's word. They have been exposed to the truth. They hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. What's crowding out this message? Crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, so that no fruit is produced. What, what's really happening? The lure of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life caused me, the branch, to remove myself from the vine. And now no fruit's coming. Why? Because my energy is over here worrying about this stuff. And I've pulled away from the life-giving vine. And no fruit is produced. The reason I use Jesus' parable and the seed that fell among the thorns is this next part from Jesus' word to the church. Remember, this is the church, the church, the church. He's talking to Laodicea. Now, Revelation 3.15. You say, now this is the lukewarm church, right? What do lukewarm churches think? You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, Poor, blind, and naked. You're talking about a contrast. That's a contrast. You say you're rich. You don't need a thing. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So, so what now? So Jesus says, I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then, You'll be rich. Can you get that at Walmart? <laughs> you got to get this gold from him. Huh? Anybody want to guess where you get that? Abide. 
abide. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me. Where's all this gold and white garments come from me? He's the source. So that you'll not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes. So that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your lukewarmness. Turn from your neutrality. Turn from being in the middle. Lukewarm people have no idea that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked before God. I want to say it again. You know what's frightening? You know what, you know what scares me about the American church? Is many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 Lord. Because lukewarm people have no idea that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked in front of God. They got no clue. No clue. They got no idea. That's why they're lukewarm. After reading about the vomit and the nakedness before God, you might assume he is done with the lukewarm church, but you would be wrong. God's grace and mercy still holds open the Philadelphia door, the Sardis door. He's holding up to Philadelphia. He says, I opened the door that no one can close. And right now, I don't know how much longer. The door's open. So what can I do? The final I will to the lukewarm church, the chance to turn from indifference to God. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door. Who's got the door open? He's got the door open. I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will. Here's the last I will. If you hear my voice, if you hear my voice, I will come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. As of today, church, I can tell you the door's open. Compare this open door to the ten bridesmaids story of Jesus. There's a day on God's schedule. That door's closing. Try to use your imagination again to visualize this final I will scene from the I am. Compare that word to Laodicea to the final word from Jesus about being hot and hot and ready. And we're not talking about pizza. Hot and ready. Luke 12, 35. Here's be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. As though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. And then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them. He'll put on an apron and serve them and they sit and eat and he may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. I can tell you those cats are not lukewarm. They're not lukewarm. I am and I will. Can a person really believe in the I am and not believe it when he says I will? I'm going to say it again. Do you think it's possible to believe that he is, I am, and reject it when he says, 
I will. In other words, do you doubt that everything he said he's going to do, he's going to do it? So, I did a summary of the Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Let's wrap it up tonight with that summary. I'm just going to read through the I wills. Here we go. And let's just ask ourselves, are we prepared? Is our life adjusted to this? Go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. And if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpectedly as a thief. And all who are victorious will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels, they are mine. Philadelphia, look. I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. And all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, Laodicea. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Look, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, do not miss the last session. Don't be tempted to miss the last session. Why? Because it's not directly to the seven churches, but it is to the church. I'm going to give you a hint. When you finish Revelation third chapter, which I just did, Laodicea, and you take the first verse of chapter four, you will find the next I will. I got goosebumps. If you don't, then you surely ought to be here next week. And then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. Now all the conversations up to now, John's on the island of Patmos. And Jesus has come down here to John. John John's, he's, he's still here. And then I looked and now the scene's changing. He's just got dictated to him seven letters to seven churches. And then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I had heard before said, spoke to me like a trumpet blast, and the voice said, come up here. Oh, what? What would you just say? We're, we're going to leave down there, and you're going to come up here. Anybody see it? Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. What's the after this? He's just talked to the seven churches. Come up here. I will show you what will happen after this. There's your teaser. That's all I'm giving you. Father, thank you for the promises. Thank you for your word. Father, may we never, 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 never let go of your name or your word. I pray that you will protect us from the time of testing that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. And may we never belong to this world, but may we forever belong to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.